Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of our Seven Investing Podcast, where it's our mission to empower you to invest in your future. You can learn more about our long-term investing approach and actually see all of the stock recommendations on our scorecard for just $1 at 7investing.com slash subscribe. I think it's a great time to be talking about biotechnology. There's so much innovation going on in healthcare right now, and who better to talk to about innovation in biotech than Manisha Sami? Manisha Sami is a senior researcher at Stanford. She's also a former analyst at ARK Invest and also a former lead advisor at Seven Investing. I think I speak for everyone when I say welcome to the Seven Investing podcast, Manisha. Thank you, Simon. It's a pleasure being here and uh, being able to talk biotechnology with you again. Um, so thank you for having me. You've always been ahead of the curve, and we're going to be talking about a couple of the hidden gems that maybe investors should put on their radar in the biotech field. Uh, before we get to that, though, we're going to talk a little bit higher level of some of the big things going on in, in, in healthcare, not even just in biotechnology, but in healthcare, and maybe a couple of companies that that might be impacting. And so maybe my first question, Manisha, you've seen the healthcare industry from a bunch of different angles, whether that's from a hospital perspective, from the lab bench, from a research perspective, as an investor, you know, a bunch of different ways of looking at this. My first question, I think, is just what are a couple of things that you're really excited about that's going on in healthcare right now? Feel free to take the question in any direction that you like with that one. Sure. Well, first of all, I love the fact that we can actually talk about cures for rare diseases and cancer. So that's the start of it. But more and more, we're seeing technology being imbued everywhere. So machine learning, AI, and it, it sounds like buzzwords, but we're actually taking the next step now. For example, there's a company called Pathos. I'm pretty sure it's still private, but they're using machine learning to basically cut the, cut through the noise and go straight to kind of what are the compounds that are affecting certain diseases, trying to reduce the time it takes to develop drugs with a higher probability of having it um, approved. So we're seeing a lot of that, um, a lot of data that we have accumulated over the years. We're finally making use of it. I still think it's still, well, very early days, but now we have kind of the tools, but it's a matter of figure out, figuring out which tool to put together, um, we've had sequencing, you know, starting 2012 and seen uh, in recent years how CRISPR has impacted the therapeutics landscape. And now we have uh, companies dedicated to building, uh, automating DNA synthesis, uh, so being able to help CRISPR. So now taking all those uh, tools and putting it together to see, you know, what we can come up with. And it's not just healthcare that's impacting, it's impacting other industries, um, whether it's directly tech, the tech world, or um, ecological areas, or um, biointelligence. So it's really impacting everywhere, uh, even agriculture. So that's very cool to see. You know, it has been interesting seeing technology get into healthcare. You know, we just spoke in preparation for this podcast two days ago. And right after we got off the phone, we, we just saw that uh, NVIDIA had made an investment in a company that you were following, and the shares were up 80% or so. Can you talk a little bit about kind of how you're seeing machine learning, AI enter the healthcare industry now? Machine learning and AI is basically the linchpin for most of these companies. I think without it, it would be almost impossible to see the advancements that we have in healthcare. Um, so it's... NVIDIA, Amazon, um, all of these companies have been uh, involved. Uh, Microsoft, Hewlett Packard as well. Uh, they're working on uh, biocomputers, so DNA computing. So they're almost, it's not just technology seeping into healthcare, it's healthcare seeping into 
these traditional tech companies as well, and they're working in tandem. It's pretty neat. We'll, we'll, we'll jump into a couple of those companies here in a minute, but I do want to kind of frame this by talking about genomic sequencing. It's something that you and I have chatted about for years, and Illumina has kind of been always the 800-pound gorilla in this room, right? They were the ones that really made sequencing more affordable, and that just unlocked so many more applications here within healthcare. But Illumina has, interestingly, uh, kind of run into some hurdles here in the last couple of years, and certainly the last couple of months. We saw that the FTC just demanded that they would divest their Grail acquisition and then slap them, adding insult to injury, with a $476 million fine, U.S. dollar fine, for pursuing uh, Grail without getting the proper EU antitrust approvals. I know that we have a long history with Illumina. I know that it's been a company that's on your radar, Manisha. But first and foremost, what do you think about their pursuing a Grail in the first place? Was that even a good move for them strategically? Strategically, I think their biggest mistake was divesting it in the first place. Um, and I think that's what a lot of investors are upset about is, you know, from kind of the larger point of, or a larger viewpoint, why divest a company only to buy it back a few years later at such a large premium? You know, at that point, you're thinking, do you actually know what you're doing? It, right. And that really impacts kind of investor trust and makes you question, hmm, you know, is the right person at the helm of uh, Invita? And of course, during that period, there was a transition uh, in leadership. But um, I think that has been the biggest issue uh, with Grail. I think it does make sense that they wanted Grail back, given that, well, what we <laughs> the joke was, you know, the holy grail is grail because it's early cancer detection um, and gallery. So that's their one of their main uh, products. If you look at their uh, specifications, what they're able to do, they're able to uh, catch cancer pretty early, um, multiple different types of cancers. Um, so I can see why Illumina definitely wants grail and they want to stay competitive, but at the same point, they have the install base. So it's not necessarily like they need Grail uh, to be successful. Um, now, of course, they don't want to be a dinosaur. Illumina has always prided themselves of being the most innovative and tech forward. So I can see why they do want to have Grail. Now, the fine, um, they did say that they will appeal it. I think they're going to fight tooth and nail to make sure that the Grail uh, acquisition remains. I think they did, already did close it. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but whether they divest it, I think they'll they'll be fighting quite a bit uh, to make sure that they don't have to divest it. But it's going to take a toll on them. It's going to be interesting, too. And I'm glad you brought up the leadership because it has been a transition of, of kind of what is Illumina's role in this in this bigger picture of healthcare. Right? You've got Jay Flatley, CEO, for so many years, kind of pushed down the cost of sequencing so uh, to make them inexpensive enough, to make them available, to not just be, a, you know, used by the largest academic or government-funded projects. It's now something that you can actually start doing things in diagnostics. And it seemed like that was with Francis de Souza coming in as CEO. Kind of the goal was to perhaps be more of a diagnostic provider. It raised a lot of eyebrows, though, of whether Illumina was competing against its very customer base. It was wanting to use those machines for their own purposes. But anyway, there is a CEO transition going on right now. Francis has stepped down as CEO uh, largely because of Car we have an we have activist investor on board. Carl Icahn has now got a seat on the board. He's pushed to get Francis D'Souza replaced as CEO, succeeded in that. Mm -hmm. Souza has resigned. There's an interim CEO, Charles Dadswell at the time. 
Um, Manisha, what do you think about this from an investing perspective? Is it good that we've got kind of a, an empty chair at the helm of Illumina right now? Is this a much needed change? Or what do you think about this change in leadership that they're going through? I think, well, investor trust has definitely shifted downwards. Um, but in terms of whether this is a good move, I think it perhaps is, uh, given, though it, it is hard to say. Um, I think it was under Flatley's uh, leadership that we divested Grail and under Diseases, we're trying to buy back Grail. So it could be, you know, maybe Francis Diseases was, you know, on the right path of this is what Illumina needs. But at the same time, do we really want to be competing with our customers and our clients? So whether, I mean, right now we have an empty seat, but it does, especially during um, all of these appeals, it's good that we have, uh, well, the former general counsel as the interim CEO, but then that really leaves Illumina a little bit imbalanced, in my opinion. Um, you really need kind of a steady, strong hand. Um, from an investor point of view, I think, um, especially when you're going up against the FTC, um, you know, that's a very bold move to basically not get regulatory approval before closing a deal. Um, so we'll see. Uh, it's hard for me to even fathom who the next proper CEO would be. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Elon Musk, of course. Of course, it's got to be Elon. <laughs> He's collecting well, companies. he has to be everywhere. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And then my final question on this one, Minish, is, you know, it seems like we've seen in big, big tech has followed the same um, same problems with regulators, right? It seems like Amazon and Facebook and everyone's kind of in the, uh, the hot seat or the crosshairs of regulators are trying to break them up. Illumina has faced those same challenges. Uh, it's tried to make acquisitions in the past that had the NICs put on them. And now just as here's another one too, you know, that you, the regulators are involved with. Um, a lot of this is the fundamental technology of sequencing. I know that Illumina is short read sequencing. You've got other companies out there like PacBio trying to do longer read sequencing. And you've got nanopore sequencing. Do mm -hmm. you think that there is a winner in terms of the technology that gains the mass market of sequencing? Or are we still going to kind of see these different approaches that are each going to have their own application? So I don't think that short read sequencing is the best technology, but hey, short read sequencing has been able to drive down the cost of sequencing. So until long read sequencing and nanopore sequencing can you know, come par to par with short read sequencing in terms of cost, Illumina is here to stay because they are the best for short read sequencing. They've brought down the cost, they continue to do that, and they have the install base. A lot of these academia are academia labs and even in industrial uh, labs and whatnot, they have a certain protocol that they're using when they're doing research. They, it takes five to 10 years or even 11 years. There are cycles. They can't in the middle of a project just switch over to a new protocol and using a new type of sequencing, whether from short to long read, that creates too much variable. So Illumina is here to stay. They have the install base. So at least for the next few years. And so I would say long read sequencing and uh, also nanopore sequencing, they have they have some time to really bring down that cost. So PacBio is long read. Um, and they're very good at what they do. It's just the cost is not quite there. Um, I do know that Invite uh, did strike a partnership uh, 
a small partnership with PathBio to use their language sequencing uh, for, I believe it was for exome sequencing uh, specifically, and the only um, deterrent was the cost. So if the cost goes down, I can easily see um, long-range sequencing kind of say 20 years from maybe not 20 years, less than 20 years at the pace of that we're moving in, um, actually taking over. But again, it's making sure that they do it right before the next kind of cycle change uh, when labs are looking at their budget and they're deciding, hmm, what's out there that is the best of the best, keeps costs down. Um, so then... But I think for now, Illumina is safe and they're just kind of a steady gorilla. They don't have to worry about anything. And I think that's part of the reason they really want Grail. They need to stay relevant. It's my next topic. You just mentioned the company that I wanted to talk about in the second part of the program here, which is a company that was enabled by that stable gorilla of, of <laughs> Illumina. And that is Invitae. Invitae was one of the companies that really jumped on the lowering costs of sequencing, they, they started applying short read sequencing. What I want to do as a diagnostic, you know, there were certainly applications to try to make healthcare more proactive. And so mm -hmm. kind of the initial applications on invasive prenatal testing, right, for babies to see if there were mm -hmm. conditions that could be treatable, but then also kind of a bigger picture of, of patients to understand their own genome and maybe get ahead of the curve, proactively treat things that might not even be showing symptoms for just yet. Better understand your DNA so you could take action. Uh, it was a really, really, really neat company, Manisha. I know that you and I both were have been really big fans, investors even, in Invitae. Uh, but Invitae has been going through a real struggle these last couple of years. Maybe can you frame the conversation of um, some of the challenges that Invitae has run into and why the stock has, quite frankly, suffered quite a, quite a bit in these last couple of years? Yeah. So uh, before, uh, well, now we have a new CEO for Invitae, uh, but before we had Sean George and he had been at the helm of Invitae for years um, and he is quite the visionary. So he had this kind of imagination and this worldview of, you know, a patient should have all the information in their hand with a push of a button. They have holistic care. And as you said, thus far, healthcare has been reactive. Let's make it proactive. Here's your genome. Here's the likelihood of you getting certain diseases. Let's do this for a woman that wants to get pregnant. Let's get your gynecologist in and your primary care and everyone kind of, that was his ultimate goal and vision, being able to press a button and, you know, here are all the doctors, here's all the information. They have everything under one stack. And even though it's a technically a molecular diagnostics company, um, it's more of a tech company. They've made a number of acquisitions. I, I think they take the award for the number of acquisitions um, in terms of companies. And, you know, there were, uh, so internally they had genetic counselors, which is very new. The only company that I am aware of that actually has genetic counselors in-house, which is very um, valuable because a lot of people don't understand how to read. We, they can get their genome sequence, but doctors don't know what it means. They're just like, they're just like us. They look at the report and they're like, uh, okay, I don't know what to do with this. So having genetic counselors, it makes the information valuable. Now with all of their acquisitions, it's a matter in my opinion of, was it the right time? I think after having so many acquisition, it's been, okay, how do we integrate them all in at the same time? A lot of moving parts, maybe too many parts, even though the vision was there, um, investors were worried about cash burn. And 
what's really interesting right now, Simon, um, I don't know if you've noticed, is even the latest uh, earnings, their gross margins continue to improve. Um, so you're seeing that, um, but unfortunately, with all of the cash burned and all of the acquisitions, they're, um, I believe they've actually stepped away from a lot of their businesses and their acquisitions. And they've, well, now they're focusing on cost cutting. Right now, I think they have enough. So in terms of cash burn, they have enough to run through the end of 2024. Um, and Sean George did step down. Uh, I believe you had mentioned that Ken Knight is the new CEO. Um, I do think that he does make sense to uh, be the next CEO uh, with the new phase. With the new phase of a company, you need new DNA. Um, I've noticed that Ken Knight, in his background, uh, he used to work at Caterpillar, um, and then it, and at Amazon in global delivery. So, not traditional science. Not necessarily. Not necessarily the person who's going to be you know, the visionary of this is where healthcare is going to go. Um, but he has kind of the right background and experience of, okay, how do we deliver kind of the logistics of things, um, especially since Invite is global. It's not just US-based. So putting everything together, making it streamlined, because that is something that Invite prides itself in. It's making everything streamlined, making it cost-effective. And at one point, they called themselves the Amazon of medical genomics. So who better to have as a CEO than someone who was in charge um, of, well, distribution and global delivery at Amazon. So I guess that's my two cents on that. That is a very valuable two cents, Manisha. A great, great perspective on that. You know, and as we look back on Invite, it's amazing to see what, what they were trying to accomplish from the very beginning of the company, right? Spun out of genomic health. You've got Randy Scott brings Sean George on board. Uh, they wanted to not only make the diagnostic testing more affordable, but then also have a way to proactively help patients as a second phase. And then the third phase kind of create this infrastructure, like you just mentioned, that could be shared between companies developing the drugs and the patients and the doctors and kind of this, this giant dream, this vision of what healthcare should be. And they attacked it head on and it was very noble. I think that perhaps it was also too noble knowing that healthcare is hard and running a company of any size is hard, especially a publicly traded company. And certainly the acquisitions kind of came back to be very, very difficult to, um, to manage along with Wall Street's expectations. And that has certainly um, cost the, the, the bottom line, um, you know, as you see kind of the dilution of shares and some of the other things that were related to them. Manisha, um, I believe I'm correct in saying that you and I are both still Invitae shareholders. We have suffered greatly over these last <laughs> couple of years, but from this point going forward, stocker market is always a forward-looking. You've got Ken Knight as CEO, like you said, an operational, really smart guy, had some great background and a track record of success with large companies before. Are you holding on to shares of Invitae? Do you think they're doing the right thing, all things considered, going forward by cutting the headcount and uh, kind of being a leaner and meaner organization now? I do think they're doing the right thing. And uh, I'll start off with, yes, I am planning to continue to hold my shares. Um, I'm rooting for them still because I still believe in the vision uh, and what they're trying to do. Um, they're very, they're a very unique company. Um, I can't say that there are very many companies that are trying to achieve what they are, but I think before they can actually do and actually achieve that, 
what's being done right now is necessary, cutting costs. And unfortunately, it's the way that Wall Street is. They're looking quarter to quarter. They're not looking 10 years down the road. They want to see, you know, the bottom line, you know, every quarter. For therapeutics companies, they want to cure cancer every quarter. (laughs) So... Um, I think right and now, I'd like to follow up on that one, Manisha. You, you still see Randy Scott is still chairman of the company, right? And he's always been the big vision right there with Sean from the beginning. But it's certainly that he understands the the quarterly, you know, desire from Wall Street to see quarterly results. Is Invitae still going to focus on the bigger mission? Or is this kind of like we need to kind of retool the expectations and communicate that to the investing to investors as well? I think it's closer to the latter where I believe they still have the vision intact, but it's they understand that there are certain things that they need to streamline and they need to get down operationally before they can attack that vision. So I think they've also realized making all those acquisitions in a shut in such a short period of time was probably the wrong move strategically. Um, so shelving that, reducing the headcount, making it leaner, and also having a leaner organization means you're more agile. So hopefully that agility um, makes them you know, more flexible and they can really adapt to the market. So, you know, I'd love to see how the rest of the year pans out for Invite. Um, both from, yes, I do have stake in Invite's success, but also in their vision. Uh, it's like you said, it's a very noble vision. A lot of companies are not working uh, on something that they are. So I am looking forward to seeing what uh, Invita has in store for us. Absolutely. Well, let's transition to the second part of the program here. You know, the first part we talked about some larger companies, companies I know a thing or two about. We're now going to go outside of my comfort zone and talk about some <laughs> hidden gems of the biotech and genomics world. Uh, fortunately, we have Manisha here and she knows them very, very well. And I'm going to smile and nod on, on several of these. But Manisha, the first company that you brought up was a company called Nanostring Technologies. NSTG uh, was the ticker on this one. It's a $200 million market cap, still a very small company. But tell us about this one. It is. And it's been that small for quite some time, unfortunately. Um, so Nanostring Technologies. So this company is also, they have their own sequencing, uh, barcoding-based sequencing system. So we talked about sequencing with Illumina. So yes, we talked about short reads, long reads, um, nanopore, barcoding, sequencing is, there's a certain type. I won't go into the details and bore everyone, but um, they have the Encounter system. What's really interesting about Nanostring is they have multiple products. So um, most recently, they had launched Geomix, uh, digital spatial profiling uh, is what it does. So taking a sample, you're, you basically get a 3D vision, um, say if you have a sample of uh, cancerous tissue, you can take, uh, you can see kind of the molecular composition in a 3D format. So it's very useful for scientists and someone like me who really geeks out and nerds out over things like this. Um, so scientists love it. But the thing that they have an issue with is their sales team. So the technology is there for that specific product, but it's getting it's getting it out there. So the install base and the install base for the Encounter system, which is their kind of bread and butter that gets revenue in. Um, one thing that I'm really interested in is something that they've talked about uh, prior to 2016, actually it's 2023 now. So it's been a number of years. It's their Hibenseek. Uh, sequencing machine. 
So um, FFPE is uh, something called, uh, it's, I believe uh, it's formalin or formin, some corn. Actually, I'm not even going to try what it's standing for. I can't remember. <laughs> but the last part is paraffin embedded. But basically, it's another tissue um, that you get. But FFPE samples, it's very hard to get. So when you get samples from patients or if you're just doing studies, it's limited supply. So if you do something incorrectly, it's gone forever. With Tyvin Seek, all you need is the smallest of samples and you're able to sequencing sequence it. And not only that, usually after sequencing it once, it degrades. So with theoretically, with their sequencing machine, you'd be able to repeat the same experiment with the same sample multiple times over. So that would be very valuable to both academia, but also therapeutics-based companies if they're able to seek if they're getting a sample from patients or clinical uh, trials, if they make a mistake or they can learn more, get more data from it. So this could be, it does, I don't think it would be the next Illumina by any chance, but it could be enormously uh, valuable for the scientific community. And I could see as long as they get distribution and sales down. Um, so Nanostring is run by a bunch of scientists which is great, but you also need the business people, the people who know kind of how to sell, what to do, market. Um, so they need that second piece. And then I think we can see this uh, stock growing quite a bit. Fantastic. Okay. Run by scientists for better or for worse, needs a sales team to get out there, nanostring technology, some interesting tech that they're looking at there in the sequencing world. A uh, second one is, is one that I, a little bit more well-known perhaps for our audience, Kinko Bioworks. This is one that hit the public market just a couple of years ago, given back a lot of those gains. But to be fair, it probably was a little bit overvalued when it hit the public markets. What can you tell us about what Ginkgo is working on? Sure. Uh, so Ginkgo is working on well automated DNA synthesis. Um, so they're automating the entire process. Um, they're also working on designing new cellular capabilities. Just today, uh, I saw in their press release that they got the contract for uh, from a biointelligence and biosecurity program to basically, it's a cutting edge biosensor um, that's able to capture chronologically kind of what is happening around it. Um, so, you know, if there's a mutation or if you look at an ecological point of view or a climate change point of view, it can even store kind of, oh, levels of, you know, carbon has changed and whatnot, and it's able to encode it in DNA. So being able to create something like that is very unique. And biointelligence is huge. Everyone talks about terrorism, but bio threats are actually even scarier than, you know, bombings or anything like that. Just, I mean, we saw with COVID, uh, I mean, COVID was not bioterror or bioterrorism or anything, but it de definitely terrorized the entire world. <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, so if you can imagine if everyone, if anyone had ever, you know, if they use biothera, think of, or thinking of that as part of warfare, that could be hugely destructive if, especially if it's, um, aerialized and anything like that. But so having these surveillances out there, um, you know, whether it's through water or whatnot, it's huge on what they're able to do, but also when they did go public, it was largely because of CRISPR. CRISPR was cutting DNA. Well, and they were able to insert DNA. So now we need a 
well, something that's reliable to actually insert back into the cell. So when we're cutting DNA, if we want uh, to correct a genetic mutation and we know the correct sequence, well, why, who wouldn't want an automated way of synthesizing new DNA in a cost-effective manner that is reliable, that can be built into a therapeutic? So Ginkgo has um, a lot of potential. It's the equivalent of a twist biosciences. So now there's that entire market. Um, any, anything from food, materials, therapeutics has a lot of, um, well, a lot of use cases, I would say. And they got the right ticker, DNA. That's a, a good one to get if you're wanting to go into this field. Ginkgo Bio. I will say they really lucked out with that ticker. <laughs> well done. Well done on grabbing the right ticker for that one. And then the third one you mentioned, you were talking about CRISPR and gene editing. I mean, this kind of goes back to the roots of all of this research as a caribou biosciences. Uh, tell us a little bit about this one, Manisha. Yes, caribou biosciences. Uh, first of all, I will say it hurts my soul that it's less than half a billion dollar in AUM. Um, it was founded by Jennifer Doudna. I'm sure uh, by this point, most people have heard of her. Um, she did win the Nobel Prize. Uh, I forgot which year it was, but she was the one who discovered CRISPR. And she also co-founded uh, Caribou. It's now um, the CEO's Rachel Horowitz. Um, but they're working on allogeneic uh, CAR-T. We all have heard, but for those who aren't just as a reminder, CAR-T therapy, we've had uh, a number of FDA approvals, uh, T-cells that have been re-engineered, put back into patients, and it fights, basically kills only cancerous cells, and we've seen complete remission rates for metastatic patients. So right now, their main indications are for things that have already have CAR-T approvals for, but it's a proof of concept. So what you can imagine for caribou is once they have the proof of concept, and just today they um, actually released some very positive data for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, 69% um, complete remission rates um, out of 16 patients, um, which is really good. Amazing. Very good. And the safety profile is safe. Um, and part of the safety is actually what a lot of people probably have overlooked is they've patented um, a different type, well, not a different type of CRISPR, but they have redesigned it. So they have CRISPR. So CRISPR is usually two parts. You have a guide RNA and then you have your Cas9, which does the cutting function. So they've uh, paired guide the guide RNA with pieces of DNA. So with CRISPR-Cas9, the traditional, what everyone has been talking about, you kind of the downside is they're off target, off target effects, which is basically you make cuts at the wrong area, unintended uh, cuts, just because there, it's not a perfect match, but that could be, that could, if that if it's the wrong place, that could be drastic for patients um, if it's put back in. So with this new, what they call uh, CRISPR CHR DNA, um, safer, more precise, and it's patented. So if anyone wants to use it, they have to license from Caribou. Um, if you go back to from my ARC days, uh, the white papers I wrote on CRISPR, um, Caribou was one of the earliest players in CRISPR technology. So they have the patents, they have, I mean, 
co-founded with Jennifer Dowder, they have the greatest minds. So if the fact that it's less than, it just reminds me kind of the early days in 2016, 17, um, when we had CRISPR Therapeutics, Intellian, Editas, when there were around 200, 300 million market cap, now they're all, you know, billions. Um, I think Caribou should be right up there with, along with, alongside them. And yes, they're earlier stage, but I think it's, you know, once you have your proof of concept, it's kind of like the Intellia story where they were behind of the three public CRISPR companies, but once they were proven, they just kind of went on their way. And I think the same is going to be true for Caribou. And they're just multiple, they have multiple platforms. I said, allogeneic CAR-T, autologous um, CAR-T, and natural killer cells. So I won't go into the biology for natural killer cells, but we have two types of immune system, adaptive and innate. So, uh, so with T cells and NK cells, we're using both types of um, our immune system. So one is kind of a rapid attack and that is CAR NK cells. So that's pretty new. Um, there are other companies working in CAR NK cells, but it's good to, it's good that their portfolio has both. So they have, they are spanning across a number of indications. Um, so I think if you're looking for a very, I guess, by market cap size, early stage company, then this is a company that has been overlooked. I do remember those white papers and I do remember you talking about the IP rights and, you know, it does seem like it's a field that is constantly evolving. Uh, certainly George Church has, has done a lot of the research with a lot of different cutting agents with, with CRISPR and has it changed over the, is, is that an advantage to them, Manisha? Are they locked into kind of the earlier uh, stages of CRISPR? Are they able to pivot as the technology improves and, and things get better? Um, is, is this an advantage for them that they're going to be able to pivot and change? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. So they know what works, what doesn't work. And now that they've seen kind of how everything has been shifting and changing and they have their own patents. So they're safe from that. The more patents you have, it's the more, I guess, the higher the moat you have. Right. So um, at this point, everyone's going to be coming to them if they're looking for using uh, CRISPR C, uh, now I'm forgetting, CHRD uh, DNA. Um, so they have their own patent portfolio, and they also know the lay of the landscape of other different types of nucleases that's not Cas9. Um, so I think they're at an advantage. They're seeing other CRISPR companies go to the FDA, seeing what they what they are required to give before they get approval, other boards. And um, I think it's an first mover advantage is not necessarily an advantage. So... I think they get to see what others are seeing where they're failing at, um, and they get to learn from that. Perfect. Well, again, once again, those three companies, if you want to follow along with uh, Manisha's watch list in genomics and, bio, and biotech, Nanostring Technologies is NSTG, Ginkgo Bioworks DNA, and then Caribou Biosciences CRBU. One last question for you, Manisha. You know, for anyone listening to this program that might not have the extensive background in healthcare that you do, might not have been doing research with Stanford or Bennett, you know, the hospitals in New York City and everywhere else that you've seen. Uh, we do want to invest in innovation, though. We do want to invest in, ahead of the curve. What are a couple of things you would recommend to investors who are interested in kind of small cap biotech companies? What should we be looking at to make more informed decisions? In terms of companies, ideas, or 
Yeah, if you're and, looking at a company, you want to learn more about them, what's a good place to start uh, other than earnings per share, which certainly doesn't often apply to a lot of the companies that are in this kind of space? Well, definitely read up on the technology. I like to always start with the management. So seeing kind of who's at the helm, who's driving the company. And then after looking at the technology, um, what's the science behind it? And it's a bit hard. I think that's the hardest part of biotech. If, you know, it's very esoteric. And a lot of times you don't know what's fluff, what's real. So that's a difficult part. And that's why you really do need to trust management and leadership. And if you have trust in them, then you can, you know, trust like, okay, what they're saying, what they're claiming, the science is true. And if you can do that uh, for therapeutics companies, look at the pipeline, um, look at what's coming up. Um, is it something similar to other companies? Are a lot of other companies doing it or is it something different? Usually if I see, hey, I've never seen this before. That's where my, that's where I go into, well, go down the rabbit hole and I'm kind of sunk into Google for a number of hours and I waste my entire day. I shouldn't call it waste, but <laughs> that's the rabbit hole. But if you're looking for the future, it's not looking at what's being done now, but what are the shortcomings? A lot of times for companies that we're following now, they say, well, we need to figure this out, figure that out. And then it's like, okay, well, what companies are working on that? And then I try and look up, okay, well, if this is what's being done, what technologies can actually address those issues? And that's how certain companies just percolate up through my Google searches. Um, they don't, I don't randomly just kind of see them, oh, I should focus on this company. It's just based on, you know, what's interesting. And a lot of times uh, for biotech, this is for the nerds out there. Uh, I just love reading kind of nature articles and ra random science articles, and this is cool. But on a high level, um, what we're looking at, um, nanotechnology is still very big in biotech, and we're still trying to uh, crack that code um, and how we can use that. I think there's still a lot of room and a lot of things, a lot of use cases that we can uh, have with CRISPR, whether it's in diagnostics or therapeutics, but also in biosurveillance and agriculture. So keeping abreast of those uh, kind of uh, those advances, and also on the regulatory side, there's a whole slew of things there. But um, yeah, and it's kind of and as a patient, you can always think about what would you like to see different, and then then you can kind of go down that route of what's interesting out there. And then a lot of times there are companies working on it and you've never heard of them because they're small and no one cares, <laughs> but that's where kind of the gems are. Absolutely. Well, a lot of exciting things going on in healthcare, certainly going on in biotechnology. Sounds like a blend of the technical approach and then also the right leadership. Uh, Manisha Sammy, a senior researcher at, uh, at Stanford. Also, as we mentioned, kind of a nice homecoming episode here as a former advisor here with Seven Investing. Manisha, really, really, really great having you on the program. Thanks for being a part of the Seven Investing podcast. Thank you. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in to this episode with our watch list of biotechnology stocks to keep on your radar. We are here to empower you to invest in your future. We are 7 Investing.